0: Welcome to Words and Pictures, the show about the narrative arts. I'm your host, S.W. Concer, and today I'm talking with the filmmaker and the subject behind the documentary film Animation Outlaws. Kat Aliotian is a director and a producer who has worked behind the scenes of some of the great stop motion feature films of the past generation, including The Nightmare Before Christmas, The Corpse Bride, Coraline, and James and the Giant Peach. Kat, welcome to Words and Pictures.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here, all the way from France.
0: Yes, indeed. And Craig Spike Decker needs little introduction. Starting in 1977, the Spike and Mike Festival of Animation revolutionized how animated films are exhibited and promoted. The list of talents who got their start, or at least a leg up with Spike and Mike, include Andrew Stanton, Alison Snowden, Don Hertzfeld, Danny Antonucci, Craig McCracken, and Mike Judge. Spike, great to have you on the show.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: So Kat, You've worked for many years in the film industry, and you've been something of a cat herder for stop motion (laughs) animators. You've managed stages and special effects and made film production come together for the likes of Tim Burton, Mike Johnson, and Henry Selick.
1: Yes, I have. I was actually more of a spike herder, if you want to talk about that. But yes, uh, I've been very fortunate to work in stop motion animation filming at 24 frames per second. And it's um, not the fastest pace filming, but uh, certainly a lot of creative opportunities to work with super talented people and puppets and little worlds that we create on, on a different scale. So it's been an it's been honor and pleasure to work with all these people and fun to uh, actually get my start looking at all these films when I was working with Spike and Mike at their festivals, just selling tickets and being the uh, person in the box office.
0: So after working with all these talented folks, you wanted to get the word out, pay tribute to your fellow visionaries behind the scenes. And uh, one of the names that keeps coming up when you're dealing with um, animators is Spike Decker.
1: That's right. Um, So one of my first... Adventures with the uh, Spike and Mike was working the box office at the La Jolla Museum of Contemporary Art, and um, just for two hours straight, uh, I got to see so much animation, and it was uh, cell animation, clay animation, glass, anything you can think of, people animated, and it just really influenced uh, the kind of vision I wanted to do, and also that things were short, so I wasn't interested in making long feature work, I wanted to do short pieces, but I'm not an animator, so um, Uh, I basically, um, more of a behind the scenes camera operator type person who, um, just really enjoyed, uh, the style and what you can tell in a story, um, with stop motion. But so Spike and Mike definitely gave me the opportunity to see what was out there and kind of what was going on in the, in uh, the creative world of, um, animation.
0: Well, creative people often need a den mother to keep track of things. And, uh, if the budgets don't come together, if the construction doesn't come together, you know, the films can't get made and that's where you stepped in.
1: Yeah, definitely, I'm, I'm, I am I'm that person. Even right now, this crew that I'm working on, everyone's like 25, so uh, yes, I am the den mother, uh, but I'm having a lot of fun, they're, they're a great crew. Um, but, and Spike, oh my gosh, Spike and Mike, they were so wild and crazy. We had so much fun, we did crazy things. And I also worked at a radio station, the UC San Diego radio station, and um, that's how I met. They came in and like started to give away tickets and wanted to be to promote. They're always promoting and sent, handing out flyers. And I said, these guys are so wild and crazy, and I want to be part of this. So that's how I started with them, was actually through the radio station.
0: So Spike, you and Mike Gripple sort of met by chance. But um, interestingly enough, you were both military brats. You and Mike, your dads were career military officers. There's a bit of an irony in you being part of a military culture, but also being shuttled around from country to country and absorbing all of this culture that's very different from American culture, seeing this art, seeing these movies, seeing uh, this animation that kind of opened up worlds for you.
2: Yeah, very much so. And it still does. Yeah, I've learned a hell of a lot. Made a lot of mistakes and learned a lot, so... Mike moved into what we called Mellow Manor, which was kind of an animal house scenario. And that's where I met him. And Irene would have it, he um, moves in to the attic of the, the Mellow Manor and um, happens to be named Mike. It happened to be the extreme character that he was. And so I eventually told Mike that we can try to put these animated shorts together because I had connections from the renting of marv newland's family meets godzilla and the max fleischer films and then the creative film society in recita california and so from there we borrowed some money from a person that had been in a severe motorcycle accident and got an insurance uh claim we borrowed some money from him put on the first animation show at landis auditorium riverside city college and we sold it out and so up to that point. That's how it evolved to do our very first show and where we did it.
0: Well, you mentioned meeting up with Mike Gribble and that was at Mellow Manor in Riverside, this uh, derelict mansion that was practically unlivable. Mellow Manor actually later became the name of your production company. But yeah, this was a living situation that was low cost and allowed you to do all sorts of crazy things. You were able to put on concerts, In this huge house, you had illegal screenings of the porn classic Deep Throat until the print was confiscated by the police. Mellow Manor got raided a few times, and uh, (laughs) there are all sorts of adventures going on.
2: Yeah, yeah, there certainly was. We had, you know, we were just young, crazy guys in a party house, and yeah, we did get raided by, uh, I guess it was Vice Narcotics. They, they didn't like us because we were right there on magnolia avenue in the main street and we were pretty notorious for parties we were showing the print we had 16 millimeter and we got from the uh, actually the university of california riverside through a film society there and it's kind of funny and um, so we we're all there in the in the house in the living room and uh, we're all adults everybody's an adult in our own private residence and So they apparently lied to the judge to get a warrant said we were a movie theater. Uh, And then each room, each place was a separate entity unto itself legally. So it's like individual apartments in an apartment complex because, you know, it's multiple rooms. So we showed the film and they never came in to see it. We went out somewhere, we came back and the house was ransacked and I thought we'd been robbed, but then I told Mike they wouldn't steal the people. And so we got a phone call from one of the people who was there and said, we got raided. They arrested us all, I guess, for um, being in the place where this film was allegedly shown because they weren't even there to see it. And so I went literally underground with some friends that had a place in Riverside where they would, Hide me out. They had a bookcase that moved, and they they had a basement that was a room. And so I stayed there because they were always getting in trouble for child support stuff or, or different things that they did. But I literally went underground. And then Mike got arrested because the cops saw him walking into the Press Enterprise to place an ad for his Volkswagen van, and arrested him there. And so that left B. And so through my friend Steve Harmon, the incredible lawyer in Riverside, called him up and said, uh, look, first of all, everything was bogus and it was First Amendment issues and each room was in a separate thing and there was no print, on and on and on and on. And so when he finally got to someone that could speak with intelligence and reason, they said, you're absolutely right. We have no interest in your client. So... That was the story on that
0: one. Well, Kat, uh, in the documentary, in Animation Outlaws, you focus on some of the crazy guerrilla promotion that Spike and Mike did early on in their careers. Uh, Mike Gribble especially was fearless. The level of weirdness that uh, Mike would go out there and do to get attention, you know, he got his nose broken more than once. (laughs)
1: Yeah, Mike was a showman, and he didn't just do it uh, on the stage. It was all the time. And so if I wasn't selling tickets in the box office, I was helping flyer. I was hitting up lines at other at concerts, at wrestling matches. Anywhere there was a, a line, other films, we would hand out the flyers, and Mike would join us sometimes. And he was such a character, and he would just make people laugh. And of course, People would come to the shows just to, to kind of get a glimpse of what Mike was going to do to uh, entertain them and do whatever he did on stage. But at the same time, both Mike and, and Spike got out there on, in the street. And that, that is guerrilla. That is definitely uh, not um, just putting an ad in the paper and, and, and hoping for the best. I mean, these guys definitely caused a scene anywhere they went. We had a huge, huge uh, water fight once in La Jolla and just it was it was notorious i mean there was like 30 people on each side throwing water balloons and the water balloons had like tuna fish oil and paint and uh it wasn't just water it was junk it was smelly stuff and it was hilarious and so then what happened is it was such a kind of an underground scene kind of crazy people with tattoos and piercings and all sorts of things and dyed hair and. You would get these amazing uh, lines outside uh, their shows of just really un- interesting unusual people going and people seeing those people in line made them really wanted to come to like what's going on here we want to know what's happening and so um, definitely just sold out shows every weekend and We didn't have tickets back then it wasn't like uh, i mean online tickets so everything was kind of basically at the door and so you're just pulling in you know thousands of uh, people tickets at the door so we were (laughs) we were really busy but yeah just um their antics and the crazy behavior it wasn't just on stage it was all the time
0: (laughs) you're listening to words and pictures i'm your host sw concert and today we're talking with Spike Decker, co-creator of Spike and Mike's Festival of Animation, along with Kat Eliotian, director of the documentary film Animation Outlaws. Before we get back to the conversation, I'd like to take a moment to remind our listeners that KABU is in the home stretch of our Spring Membership Hive Drive, now through May 28th. We hope that you've been enjoying our programming and that you'll take a moment to become a member of KABU. Our studios are still closed to phone volunteers, but we have all sorts of options for donating. If you'd like to pledge on the web, you can visit kboo.fm slash give. You can also text KBOO to 44321. And if you prefer to go analog, we're always happy to receive a contribution in the mail. The address of the station is 20 Southeast 8th Avenue in Portland, 97214. And remember, right now all gifts will be matched 1 to 1 up to $12,000. Again, the webpage is kboo.fm/give. On your mobile device, you can text kboo to 44321. And of course, you can reach us by mail at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue in Portland, 97214. And now, let's talk some more with our guests. Yeah, Spike, so um, back in the day, back in the 1970s, aside from the occasional art film festival or annual city film festival, nobody was showing animated shorts and the mainstream studios and um, theater chains were not interested. And you wanted to prove that there would be an audience for animated shorts and you would, uh, four wall theaters, you would rent out a theater lock, stock and barrel for a few days And your crew would uh, flyer the town for weeks at a time to get bodies in the door.
2: Uh, Yeah. Thank you for bringing up the sort of the business end of it, which a lot of people don't. And it's really hard to even articulate with words or even a documentary. There is one quote in our book. uh, We have a book came out some years ago called um, outlaw animation. And Jerry Beck does a quote in there. It's, it's, um, that robin williams are the quotes of my life so far is spike and mike came from nowhere with nothing and created a market where none existed and to that point and your point with the four walls is um i did want to prove that um we could create this uh, event this counterculture with animated shorts and it's very challenging, especially to go to another city where you've never even been, you know, San Francisco, Seattle, then on to other countries and to Vancouver and go in there and just take the town by storm and sell out shows. And, you know, you're doing 18 hour days and you live on the road your whole life. And failure is not an option. And that's the same with putting on the shows. That's why we worked so hard because failure was not an option, because if it failed, we're finished. We didn't have money to do another show or to help make somebody make a film or take a film that we saw, or a filmmaker that we saw it was just a drawing or just a pencil test or just a storyboard and seeing enough talent there to believe in them and, and step forward from it. And that that's the type of thing we did.
1: Probably their one of their biggest success areas was in San Francisco and it was at the Palace of Fine Arts. And that place can hold like three thousand people. and we're they are selling out Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, two shows each night and you know matinee on sunday and 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 we're this is this is the festival of animation. This wasn't even the sick and twisted yet. so. Um, for them to, to buy the theater like that and then just be hugely successful. And, but again, it wasn't by chance. It was because they went out there and really promoted the heck out of it, uh, going everywhere they could. Um, the flyers were a big hit because they would have artists every year create the flyers and people actually collected those at, like Mobius one year or there's actually a local uh, Portland artist, Emmick who's done a couple of posters for them. People look forward to those posters, to the art, to having those artists sign those posters, to sign the T-shirts, whatever they wanted. That was another part of the promotion: was the animators, the directors, the artists will be here and they'll sign your stuff. So the whole merchandising thing was was another big success for them. And bringing in Marv Newland to talk, and Joanna Priestley, and Joan Gratz, and all these other artists, they would have them at the shows, and they showed them a good time. They treated them like royalty, really. They offered them to put them up and feed them and do all sorts of things that wasn't happening to animation artists at the time. So anyway, my experience was just, it was the pure promotion that they dealt with every day, all day.
0: <laughs> and two of the sources for films that you went to were overseas animators, uh, animators around the world, and animation students talented students from places like Sheridan College in Canada and the California Institute of the Arts. In fact, <laughs> there was a time where you had um, some animation students sleeping on the floor of your house. Uh, some folks who went on to be big shots at Pixar like Andrew Stanton and Pete Doctor.
2: For sure. We had a, <clears throat> we ran a place cause we do shows at the contemporary art museum in La Jolla as they had a really nice facility and fortunately they'd rent it to us and so we do a rental and it's being as close to the ocean we'd have students come down a lot of cal art students and appear as guests or they'd come down and spend the weekend because we'd let them crash on the couch or the floor i remember one of them even slept in the bathtub once there were so many people on the <laughs> floors and stuff well, you know, they were young and we were still in our 20s and so, yeah, we we did that with a lot of people, some people that are very, very, very famous now. <laughs> and in, in actually the Contemporary Art Museum in La Jolla, we premiered theatrically a lot of great films there. A lot of films from Beavis and butt to Tim Burton's Vincent, on and on and on. I mean, I could go on until you run out of battery.
0: <laughs> and at one of those screenings, you uh, took aside a young animator named John Lasseter. And you showed him a short by Andrew Stanton. You uh, said to John, you have to get in touch with this guy. And, uh, you know, John Lasseter went went on to hook up with Steve Jobs and found Pixar Studios. And now um, Andrew Stanton is an award-winning animation director.
2: Yeah, yeah. That was one night we were showing his films. We made uh, two films with with, with Andrew we produced a story in somewhere in the Arctic and we did all the production and got them on film and 16 and 35 and ink and paint camera shoots and uh, lab work and neg cuts and release prints and answer prints and 35 millimeter everything and um, yeah we were doing a show at the contemporary art museum in La Jolla and John was there as a guest because we showed John's student films and then later on we showed the first Pixar shorts, Andre and Wally B, Luxo Jr., Red Stream, For the Birds, on and on and on, Toy, And I told John that this, I mean, again, we believed in Andrew enough to put, again, the money we didn't have into the shorts. And then he'd meet him at our parties and he got hired through John. And look at what iconic, legendary, grosses and financial gain that. Not for me, but for a lot of people, that hire has turned into. I mean, it, probably. I mean, who knows? I don't even know. You'd burn out a calculator doing grosses on some of those those films. Then you start to get in near. You're then at the billion dollar mark, probably.
0: Well, Cat, one of the things that's uh, mentioned in the documentary is just how much support Spike and Mike put towards young animators that needed to get their work out. And this was well before the age of digital animation. There needed to be a lot of technical support. And there was not only um, technical support like paying for lab fees, for renting cameras, things like that. But also there was a lot of help to talented young animators like Nick Park, who went on to become a sensation at Ardman Animation in England. Spike and Mike qualified Nick Park for the Oscars by screening his film for a week in LA.
1: That's right. Um, I think I, it's a little bit mentioned in Animation Outlaws. Creature Comforts was the film name. That's one of those films that Mike had found when he, on his travels, uh, cause Mike would, Mike would fly. Spike wasn't a big fan of flying or, or getting out of California, but um, Mike did all the traveling and picking up the films. So, um, yeah, Nick Park was one of their early uh, finds, if you, if you will. But uh, he was just so, so sweet and honored to come over to the US and be part of the, the craziness that was uh, the animation scene on the, the West Coast. Uh, and um, that was one of those moments in time and history that was so wonderful. And he's still very grateful, Nick Park.
0: Spike, one of the things that has really changed in recent years And this is even before COVID hit, even before the pandemic, has been just how much streaming and home viewing of film and animation has changed the landscape, has kept these kind of gatherings from catching fire the way they used to. must have been hard to sort of change with the times.
2: Yeah, it it is. It's still hard to change with the times. It's like, um, I assume it's maybe the same for a lot of music people, because although And I'm glad to see it. Success of things like Coachella. It's a hats off to the fact that they, they do that. And it's so successful, the music festival. And um, it shows too. I mean, it's an experience you can't have on an electronic device. And just like our shows, it's not just the giant screen. It's the whole atmosphere. It's the meeting people. It's just like a concert. It, the medium is film and animation, but it's the same with music, and it's the fun and the energy and the excitement of that, and the life in that, and the the culture of that, and um, that's lost with an electronic device. Uh, the other thing with doing shows, I mean, in theory, if I went out now and did a show, I know in certain cities, especially knowing what I know now and having the body of films that I own and being able to curate as well as I do that I could put together an impeccable show and we own whole body library vault of films. It's just being able to go out there and do it. I mean, when we, when we started, we were in our early and mid twenties and life on the road is really, really hard. Even when you're 24 years old, um, it's brutal because you're, constantly out there and you live in a hotel room and that's it and that's what i did even long after mike was gone i did that on my own and so you just have to have the the youth and the passion and the endurance and the desire to do that and it's not that it couldn't work but like i told somebody make me 25 again i'll get started tomorrow
1: yep People came back every year because of word of mouth, because they knew they were gonna be entertained, but they didn't know exactly what it was gonna be because there was always one that had really good music or one that was super slow and one that's super fast. Could be really funny, could be very serious. So the way that they curated the shows just brought the audience back. And, and then to on top of that, to have sort of Mike be in the MC, you had like a comedy show in the middle. They always had an intermission, which was very unusual to stop the whole show and take a break. So intermission was a really kind of fun thing, uh, special and unique and the ball bouncing around, Scotty, the shredding wonder dog, a lot of entertainment. You were definitely entertained and it was certainly worth every penny. So I, I just love that. That's why I kept coming back too is, um, it, it felt like family. I was watching really funny shows like on a couch at my house, with, but with, you know, hundreds of other people. So that that's a good, a point about their audience was a, a big part of the energy and, and why it was so fun to always go back every year.
2: I just wanted to point out about the, about Kat and the documentary that she did an incredible job on it. And she's, she stepped up and put a lot of her own funding into it and just did an incredible job. And, and personally, how much I appreciate that. And how grateful I am that she did it. And, you know, she she started working with us and learned a lot and saw some opportunities. And she's one of the few people that have ever really reciprocated in my life so far. And personally, it's immensely, immensely respected and appreciated that she stepped up and did that and believed in us when not, not a whole lot of people have.
1: Thank you, Spike. That's a, I mean uh, it's great for, to hear that from you, but you know it, you encouraged me to to keep going in animation and I was starting to think about live action, but um, animation is so colorful and happy and bright and there's a lot to, to work with. so uh, I appreciate what you said and uh, I'm, I'm glad you liked the the movie, the documentary. I hope everyone gets an opportunity to see it.
0: You've been listening to Words and Pictures. I'm your host, S.W. Concer. And we've been talking today about the documentary, Animation Outlaws. My guests are filmmaker, Kat Elioshan and animation festival director, Spike Decker. Kat and Spike, thanks so much for joining
2: us. What a Thank pleasure. Thank you for taking the time and sorry about the awkwardness of technology.
0: And for those listeners who might be interested in finding out more about Animation Outlaws and the Spike and Mike Festival, where would they look
2: as far as spike and Mike will be doing some shows at the San Diego comic con. And um, in the meantime, I'm just out there working, trying to get some things going. So that's what I do.
1: So animation outlaws can be viewed on uh, Amazon prime. And I also have a website, um, animation com, and there's a really cool chapter in there that lists all the films in the order. There's like 60 clips of animation in my documentary. And a lot of people say, well, you know, they don't know who the artist is or they don't know the title, but they, they appear in order. And that's a really great way to find uh, the film you're looking for. If you saw a clip that you like, say, uh, Lupo the Butcher, and you didn't know it was by Danny Antonucci, you can find it on the website, animationoutlaws.com. And then uh, July 21st, it'll be at San Diego Comic-Con. And I will be there with Spike and David Silverman's going to be on the panel and we're hoping to get Seth Green as well. So we'll have a great panel, lots of Q&A and uh, hope to see you there.
0: Well, thanks to all our listeners on the radio dial and on the web. You can find an archived version of this show later today at kboo.fm slash wordsandpictures. And be sure to follow us on social media at Words and Picture.